Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you again for joining me this week. Not sure if you guys can tell, but like the Bulls three-point shooting over the last two games, my voice is a little rough right now. I've been a little under the weather, but I'm pushing through because I want to talk Bulls, so bear with me on with my voice on this one. It's a little rough, a little bit more annoying than usual, but uh, hopefully you guys can bear with it. But I've got a big show in store for you guys as we got finally get a chance to talk about actual basketball, which is awesome. With the preseason underway and the Bulls playing their first two games, there's a heap to discuss, so... Starting off with a bit of a quick little summary here, even though I'm sure you guys are all across it, but in their first hit out of the preseason, the Bulls without Larry Markkinen faced the New Orleans Pelicans at home, recording an impressive 128-116 to victory. Then on Wednesday, <laughs> pretty much the reverse happened. On the road against the Bucks. the Bulls once again gave up 116 points, but this time they could only muster up 82 of their own. It was a complete blowout, and frankly, it was an embarrassing performance, so I was going to do a show straight after the Bucks game, but given my voice is a little bit off here, and also given who my guest is today, in order to have an actual coherent conversation, it probably made a little bit of sense to let things cool down a little bit and give our, give us some time to collect our collect our thoughts after that horror Bucks game, so... I'm not sure if such a strategy can work with this man, but I thought I'd give it a go. We'll see if it's worked, and even if it has, I'm sure we can press his buttons and get him to get fired up again. So without further ado, joining me to share his words of wisdom is my best friend on the earth, the one, the only, Frederick Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you doing, man? <laughs> Mark, friend of years, friend of tears, it's always good to talk to you, brother. I'm sorry you're under the weather, but hopefully I could bring a little, little joy, a little sunshine to your... Uh, Humble abode out there in Australia. How are things out there? Are they warm, cold? Yeah, look, mate, we're in spring now at the moment, so it's it's gets slowly slowly heating up. We're coming out of winter, so it's it's all all is all is well down here. Bulls basketball is back. The sun is shining. It's everything's going well, Fred, and I'm even better hit now to be uh to be speaking to you, even though I'm a little under the weather. It's always great talking to you, but. Fred, how are you doing? I want to know if you've calmed down. You're a bit on edge during that bull, <laughs> during that Bugs game. Even after that Bucks game, it took a. From what I could tell from your Twitter account, it took a while for you to uh, to come down a little bit. Well, you know, you get in the heat of the moment and the competitive juices start flowing, and you see just a pathetic effort from Holiday and, and Lopez, and <laughs> you know, you get a little angry and you fire off a couple of tweets that, in retrospect, would look kind of foolish and maybe you regret it some. But you know what I took from last night's game? Or two nights ago now, Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Markinen will become the best front court in the NBA, working together with a seamless cohesion, leading the Red Leviathan to wreak havoc on the NBA for a decade with Laurie's offense and Wendell Carter Jr.'s defense. What say you, brother? Are you on board? I well, believe, man. Well, oh. look, I, I never question your faith. That's that's for sure. But and look, uh, it's good to hear that you're back on brand and <laughs> back on back on brand, back it's, brand. sprouting the uh, also giving off these uh, very very positive spills straight up, straight from the top. So uh, um, it's it's good to hear that you're back, Fred. But look, you know I love tracking your tweets, Fred. You know you know I, it's a, one of my favorite pastimes and. And likewise, I want to give you a bit of a sample of two that I enjoyed. Can can I read you the can I read you the sure. first one, Fred? Go ahead. Go so ahead. this one this one came through from you. So at CBE Fred on Twitter. On, on now this is my time zone, so my timestamps rather. So this came through for me on October fourth at nine twenty eight a.m. 
So that, you know, that would have been October 3, I don't know, maybe 7, 7.30 p.m. Chicago, something around that. Six, yeah, 6 o'clock. 6.30, I think that's yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is your tweet. So you've said, at CBN, CB Fred, I've never been more pumped for a second preseason game in my life. The Red Leviathan deserves some media focus. When are we talking bulls at the Catman and at Waddle and Sylvie? A question mark after uh, that. At Nick Friedel, don't you miss the process of covering emerging greatness? Very pumped before <laughs> that Bucks game, Fred. You were very, uh, very jubilant as you typically are. But you know that in itself was a pretty innocuous and pretty harmless tweet. In itself, it's nothing special, and you know, <laughs> um, it, it, maybe I'd even argue it. it, it you know, you're probably trying to work your way in there with the Chicago media by by adding all these guys. Is that fair? But I, look, I'll give you a pass what? on that one. But what I found funny about this tweet is when you refer back to it after seeing your post, this absolutely horrible tweet that you'd had maybe two hours later. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I've had plenty of these horrible ones. Which one am I talking about? So let me end the suspense and read it for you. All right, Fred? This one came through at 11.34 a.m., so about roughly two hours later my time. All right, so this is from you. I would be completely fine if Holiday and Lopez were cut after the game. The effort and quality of play has been so embarrassingly bad tonight. They've set basketball back 50 years. It's a poor example of how to play the game for the younger players. Ah, Fred, Fred, Fred. All right, me, I've got many me, problems with this tweet, myself. but I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain yourself first. Let me defend myself. First of all, I'm a little upset, a little <laughs> miffed at the general coverage of the beloved in Chicago. Right, okay. So, you know, Waddle and Sylvie, I love those guys. I love them. But they haven't found one minute to talk Bulls basketball. I have a pretty good, you know, discussion with the producer. He's like, oh, we're going to hold off another week. Hold, a- hold off another week. We just... The team's already been in, in training camp, basically. Now, I understand the Bears are on a roll. So, you know, you, you don't live here. The Bears are, when they're good, are bigger than any team in Chicago. Probably all, all, the, all the others combined. You know, the Cubs just had a disappointing ending. They're huge, too. But I thought the Bulls deserve at least, you know, some, some uh, modicum of, uh, you know, respect. Let's just talk about them. Nobody wants to talk about them. Like, the, every day, the topics for the shows. They haven't even fit the Bulls in there. So, yeah, I was a little miffed. You know, and I wanted to throw it out there to, hey, the team's 1-0. and They're undefeated. How about we find some time to chat about them, you know, thinking that they'd go up to Milwaukee and spank them. And lo and behold, I start witnessing arguably one of the worst performances I've ever seen, at least in the Hoiberg era. I mean, that was just disgusting. And, you know, I was really upset with the two vets. There's a great podcast that I reckon everyone listened to, Elton Brand. And the low post, uh, probably a week or two old now. And in that podcast, he really stresses the importance of veteran leadership. And I, I believe every young team needs one or two guys to set an example. When I saw from these two dopes against Milwaukee, I will never forget. I, I, Robin Lopez, I've always respected. I've always loved his game. He didn't play hard. He didn't play defense. He set a horrible example. I don't know what was wrong with him. I mean, Mark, didn't you feel the same way after watching? And in Holiday, I, I you can't take it anymore. I mean, anybody out there, I know people like to make fun of me with my Valentine love. Valentine is at a whole other level than Justin Holiday, And it's clear that anytime that he's on the court, you know, with, with Holiday, he's, a, he's at least three or four steps below Valentine now. And I know deep down you admit it. You, you feel it, too. You just, I, you're just going to argue with me about it. What say you? 
Well, I mean, he, I'm here to shock you, Fred, because I, I don't know why I'm doing this. I, I kind of regret it. I might regret this, but I think I agree with you on a holiday in the sense that Valentine should be playing above it. And th- that's how <laughs> bad Justin Holiday has been. I've, I've, I've reached the point where I'm like, eh, maybe Denzel is a little bit better. Maybe Denzel can provide something <laughs> a little bit different. So that's how bad uh, Holiday has been. So I see your point with Holiday and... I guess I don't, I'm not fully on board with your stance with Lopez because I don't know. I think I think these first two preseason games that that he's had to play and the matchups that he's had, the first being Anthony Davis and then the second being against his brother Brook Lopez and then the reserve that the Bucks had that was playing a lot of minutes at center was uh, Ursan Ilyasova. They're all stretch bigs, and if we know Robin Lopez, he likes to be around the rim. He's a bit like Pau Gasol in that sense. You can't ask him to get out to those guys and to really face up and guard out the three-point line, which is exactly where those sort of players are going to be situated on. So whilst I get it, like Lopez hasn't been good. He hasn't been impressive at all. And it's a little bit of a concern. I, I, I am, I'm holding pause on that one because I, don't, I think these matchups have been really bad for him. Now, having said that, as the league is trending to more spaced yep. out lineups and bigs are becoming exactly. better shooters, etc. Maybe maybe uh, Robin Lopez is losing his place in the league, but I'm going to give him a few more games before I uh, go off the uh, off the hinge like maybe you did. But I, I sort of see what you're <laughs> saying with um, with Holiday. I, I can buy that. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the rotation when Valentine gets back because I think Blakeney's been okay. He's shown a little bit. He's shown some development. I think Hutchinson's been really poor in his first two two preseason games. Preseason games, but again, he's a rookie. But there's really yeah. no excuses for Justin Holiday shooting thirty percent, shooting six and a half threes per game, and basically missing them all. So he's been downright bad. But I guess my main problem with your tweet there, Fred, is the fact that you took ire against against two veterans when they weren't mm-hmm. the only ones who were poor. I, I want to hear what you thought about Jabari Parker in that in that Milwaukee game. Well. Obviously, it was a very emotional moment for Jabari. He's still, we, we always forget, he, he looks like he's 40. He's 23 years old. You know, so I'm sure he hasn't dealt with that type of situation. Coming back home and then playing against his former team, I'm sure it was a difficult time. And he just had an off-night shooting. I mean, Jabari is paid to perform offensively. As you stated in your article, which I read, a very fine article, I recommend everyone to go check it out. He had some nice moments defensively. He did. And I, you know, I just think it was a weird, just a weird situation for him. Um, I have, I will admit, I have been slightly uh, disappointed. I don't know what the word would be. A little bit concerned, probably, that I did watch a ton of tape after his second ACL at the end of last year, and I thought he was moving better. Than he has looked in these first two games. I thought he had some really nice moments in game one. I think he's a lot better passer than we all expected. A lot better facilitator. I think he's got a lot of talent uh, in, in handling the ball. Uh, just incredible talent in handling the ball for a big man. But I am a little concerned that maybe, uh, mark the date and the time, Mark, you may be right in the fact that he may not be able to handle the three. So, you know, in general, here's what I feel about Jabari Parker. And, and you know, at first I was kind of upset when the announcement was made. They're just going to move him to the four. And, you know, then they'll, they'll, we'll start Holiday at the three. Because I really wanted Wendell Carter Jr. just to be thrown at the four and, and thrown into the fire. And just, you know, let's, let's run with this. But now that the more I think about it, I think Jabari's going to put up numbers at the four. He's done it. If he's healthy, he puts up numbers. That's what he's proven his whole career. And that's what he'll do this year. So he's going to have you know seven, eight weeks where he's going to be building up his value as a as a ball player. 
Lowry comes back, if he can't coexist, if he can't find uh, you know some cohesion between himself and Lowry, then we're going to have end of November, all of December, and January to figure that out if they can play together. And if they can't, I think he's going to bring some value in the trade market. His contract, he's the type of player that for a, for a team that's challenging for a title would be a good second or third option. But he's also the type of player for like a Sacramento or Orlando or Minnesota where those those organizations are never going to sign anybody who's good in the free agent market. I can see somebody like one of those organizations taking a flyer on him as a you know quasi-star that they could bring in under a decent contract with that second-year option and, and maybe make a chance to, to kind of turn him around and turn him into an asset. What say you? Uh, I don't necessarily agree with him being a trade asset. I mean, that's completely dependent on how well he plays, but... Look, I definitely did mark down the time and the date and time. It's Look, it's Saturday morning here for me. It's 11.48 a.m. and it's October 6, I believe. So that's when I've noted that down. You've, you've admitted that I'm right about Jabari not being a three. but You may be right. I didn't say it. <laughs> definitely right. Wow. No, I, I mean, I, he's clearly, I mean, he's clearly better suited for the four. I don't think I ever disputed that. My whole point was that I think he can play the three. He has for Milwaukee. Uh, for you know a third in his best season he bought 30 percent of the time he played the three and i thought he could easily play it that's thunder in the background here it's storming here in chicago uh but uh he, he could play, he could i think provide you minutes at the three against most threes in the east it's a, if you go through up and down the the rosters there's not a lot of great threes in the east but obviously he's going to have a problem with you know Kawhi leonard or you know a player of that ilk so um, I have been concerned, though, about how athletic he's looked. I, I've been a little bit disappointed there. But I think overall, like I said, he's he's the least of my concerns. Um, one thing I want to touch on really quick, I, I back to Lopez. I don't know if you feel this way. I am sold already. Wendell Carter Jr. is already a much better player than Robin Lopez. Not only offensively, but defensively he's better. What are we waiting for? Why don't we just start him at the center position? Why are we going to have to go through this ridiculous charade of, uh, you know, having Lopez start and bringing Carter off the bench? What say you? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So before we started recording here and chatting, I actually listened to your podcast, your your most recent Chicago Bulls one, and Chicago Bullseye rather. And you made an interesting point there around the fact that the Bulls should stop wasting time and, you know, why, why wait sort of thing. And I mean, it was hard for me to answer that because I, I think naturally I'm, I'm of the opinion that you gotta, you got to make the rookie earn it. I know he's the seventh pick and he's obviously very skilled and he's shown a lot, be it in preseason or even the summer league. He's shown glimpses of what he can be, so I certainly get it. But I think I'm defaulting. My, my default position is always to say, let the vets play first, give them the start and let the rookies earn it. But maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe Maybe I need to challenge my thinking or my default setting in terms of, uh, having the uh, the veterans slot in at the starting spot because they've earned it and not giving the rookie the go or, or, or something of that nature. So maybe I'm being a little bit um, antiquated in my stance there. So maybe I need to revise that. So I think it's me internally sort of battling with that situation in my own mind because for probably the last three to four months in my own mind, I've thought, well, no, Robin Lopez is the better player. He needs to start. And in time, once Wendell Carter Jr. has earned it, be it this season or maybe it's next season, then at that point he takes over. But over the last two preseason games, given how well how, how rough Robin Lopez has looked and how damn excited I am about Wendell Carter Jr., then I've sort of been going back and forth on that idea. And you know, maybe I'm wrong on that, and maybe you're right. But I just question 
does uh, Wendell Carter Jr. get lost offensively in that starting unit? Because obviously he will be playing with Chris Dunn, uh, Larry Markin once he comes back, Zach Levine and Jabari Parker. Whereas in the second unit, he's only really competing with Antonio Blakeney and Bobby Portis. So whilst I would like to see Wendell Carter Jr. start, does he get lost offensively? And But that doesn't matter. I, I think that's a good thing. It, I he, I hope I don't even care if he gets lost offensively. Everything I'm talking about is on a defensive end. Yeah, it, it's so clear he is our along with Dunn. Those two guys, Wendell Carter Jr. and Dunn, are literally miles ahead of anyone else in this team defensively. It's yeah. it's just hitting you in the face. And I even stated Fred has to figure out a way at one point in, in it, all for all 48 minutes. One of those two guys has to be on the court. Because when they're off the court, it was a layup line. It was an abomination what we what we witnessed. And so, it to me, everything was the dunk, the block that they call the foul with yeah. a ridiculous call. That was amazing. On Giannis, play. Amazing, amazing play. play. Nobody on this team can do that. No one could come close. He's, he can defend the rim. He can he can switch. He's got great lateral quickness. On the defensive end, he's so far exponentially better than than Lopez. Like, give me a break. This team is going to get killed. If we don't, if we don't make that change, because uh, you know, I, I do, I did like Lopez defensively in the past, but he's just going to have problems with these. With, with, as you said, that that's where the league is moving, and you know, let him come off the bench, and, and let's give most of those minutes to, to. And I think we might get that a kind of exponential jump start that we saw from Laurie Markkinen last year. If Laurie even get those minutes, he wouldn't have had as successful of a season. What are we waiting for here? You know, and so. I do feel in the offensive event, well, that's what Wendell Carter does. He sets picks really well. He passes really well. I don't. We don't need him to be a. He's not going to have that pressure. You got Levine. You got Parker for that. You can have Laurie when he comes back. He does all those other good things that Lopez can't even do. Which it, which is, uh, I think Lopez is just a a poor man's version right now. Wendell Carter Jr. on the offensive end, he's basically uh, worse at everything, and he can't hit a three like Wendell can. So. I think we're both in agreement here. Let's 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 start the movement. Everybody sign the petition, get it over to to, to uh, the west side because he needs to be starting. Yeah, I mean they're all good points. It's hard for me to argue against. And you know, if Lo- if Lopez continues to to look like this, then it, it makes it even harder for me to argue against. But I mean, if you're starting Wendell Carter Jr., it's not a bad position to be in. Like, so I'm I'm happy to accept it if that's the case. And and look, I think irrespective of if he's starting or not, it's pretty clear that he's going to be playing. He's averaging 24 minutes a game in his first two preseason games. And he's basically putting up 10 points and six rebounds and shooting over 50% without any real plays being called for him at all. So he's he's still making his his presence felt offensively. But defensively, as you sort of said that, and and you referenced that play against Giannis where he went up and challenged that shot. No no other bull can do that. So look, I'm I'm coming around to it, man. Maybe in a week or two, maybe I'll be fully uh, fully fledged and ready to sign that petition. But I'm sort of umming and ahhing now. But irrespective of that, I had a tweet the other day, Fred, and I, I didn't have the full conviction to go with it because I don't know. It's only we're only two preseason games in. I didn't want to say anything too irrational, but I've been so impressed with what I've seen from Wendell Carter Jr. in preseason and also summer league that I think there's a, a really good chance here that. 
he's actually going to be the Bulls' best player in two, three years' time. I think he, his ceiling may be higher than Larry Markkinen. So what do you think about I that? Saw the, I saw that tweet. I, I was so angry, and I, I was going to fire right back at you. <laughs> Why do you have to sow divi- division among the fan base? Not, you accuse, You know, you're the Donald Trump of Bulls. Oh, Sowing division here? Are you kidding me? Like we, we got to say we got to make that argument already. I think that's a ridiculous statement. I mean, how is that a ridiculous Larry, statement? I, I think Laurie is is going to be a better offensive player than Wendell Carter Jr. I think Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be a far better defensive player. I think they're going to work together with seamless cohesion. I don't disagree. For the next ten years, I think we're going to have the best front court for next ten years. Why would we possibly want to get into an argument about who's the better player? It does no good. <laughs> Wendell Carter Jr. is the center. Laurie Markin is a power forward. We we're, we have it set for 10 years. Let's celebrate that instead of talking about who's the better player. They're both going to be max paid guys. I think they're both going to make multiple all-star teams. And let's celebrate. Look, I'm, I'm not saying we can't celebrate. Donald. All I'm saying is I think very highly of Larry Markkinen. He had an amazing rookie season. But I think so highly of Larry Markkinen that I actually think Wendell Carter Jr. will end up being a better player, which is not trying to you know, cause friction amongst the fan base. What I'm effectively saying is I'm damn excited about these two guys being I, a cohesive unit together. So I don't this know, maybe you're interpreting together. I, I definitely agree with you, man. I, I, I am so pumped up about these two because I, I do agree with you. I, I do think Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be, I think they both have like Hall of Fame potential. That's how excited I am. I think Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be first team all defense within two years. He's so stinking good and he's 19 years old. And, uh, you know, Larry is, uh, I, I don't think Larry's ever going to be as well-rounded as Wendell. You know, he's going to always be a more offensive first, but I think he's got a higher offensive ceiling than Wendell. Yeah. Uh, but overall as a overall, if you want to, if you want me to force me to say it as an overall basketball player, I think he's going to be, Wendell's probably going to be better. I think it's to be a rich man's, you know, Al Horford, whereas Larry's going to be a poor man's Dirk probably. That's where he'll max out. Both are good places to be. So why 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 get upset about? I do want to talk about Zach Levine. Are we going to talk about Zach? Because I, I yeah, want to bring we'll, this we'll, up we'll talk Zach Levine in a second. We'll move we'll move to Dunn okay. and Levine in a second. But I, you you touched on a point that I wanted to 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 expand on, and that and that is the defense in general and the fact that Fred needs to find a way to have one of Dunn and and uh, Wendell Carter Jr. on the court at all times. And you mentioned before that you read my my article, so thanks for doing that. But in, in that piece there that I wrote, there was there was an actual play there where the Bulls had both Dunn and Wendell Carter Jr. on the floor. But around them, they had Zach Levine, Jabari Barker, and Bobby Portis, and they were still giving up wide-open three-point attempts to the Bucks. So I guess my question defensively is, even if you have these two guys on the floor, is the Bulls roster constructed in a way where it's even possible to build a good defense based on, not even a good defense, <laughs> maybe the 20th-ranked defense in the NBA based on what we've seen thus far? Because... We've got Dunn on the court. We've got Wendell Carter Jr. Who, who, you know, maybe Wendell Carter Jr. is not the the ultimate rim protector right now, but maybe as the season progresses, he'll be he'll get better on that end. But effectively, my point is, we've got two guys that we're confident in defensively, but they're surrounded by three players who are negatives on defense. So is it possible at all, based on what we've seen so far, to build a not even an average defense, but one that's you know ranked seventeen to twenty in the NBA? Is that even remotely possible? Well, remind me to go back to that play that you referenced from your article because I do want to talk about that. Oh. All right. T- to be a great defender, you basically need four things. And this is something I learned at, at a very young age from 
the best defensive basketball coach I had my sophomore high school year. Coach Pallardy was phenomenal. I, I love when you need, bring your own basketball career into this. But, but go I can talk go all day on. about it. All right. You need A, athletic ability, B, desire or want to, C, innate ability to anticipate. So that's kind of like jumping, passing lanes, having that what I kind of call basketball, basketball intuition. Mm-hmm. And D, limited knowledge of basketball concepts, which I feel that you could learn if you really, really put your mind to it within a year. So if you have three of those four, you can be good. You need all four to be great. Did so you have any of them? I, I had maybe half a B, <laughs> desire or want to. Uh, I had quasi – no, I, I didn't. I was not a good defender. <laughs> Let's be honest. Valentine's one of my favorite players, so that tells you. I was probably like him. You, you see yourself you have, in Valentine, eh? <laughs> yeah, me and It all makes stomach. sense now. <laughs> We're both hanging out at the Express. If you have, so I firmly believe you can't. A couple more important things I do want to say. So, out of those four traits, which which guys on the team who aren't considered to be good defenders, you know, could be? I have no doubt Zach Levine could. I think he's got all those. He's got athletic ability, no doubt. Desire to want to. I think I think it's going to grow, right? Uh, I mean, that's something you just got to find within yourself. Innate ability to anticipate. I don't know if you remember game one. I saw some really nice signs of him jumping to passing lanes. Had a really nice steal. Limited knowledge to defend. So I kind of take solace in the fact after talking to Darnell Mayberry about his time in Oklahoma City, talking about how awful Kevin Durant was uh, guarding on the perimeter and even Westbrook. He said they were terrible and it was just basically a Baca left to clean up all the mess when they were young. I think the Bulls have a few guys like that. You even admitted Parker at moments showed some nice defensive ability. And I saw that for last year against the Celtics and then Milwaukee series. He's got athletic ability, not great athletic ability, good athletic ability. He's got desire and want to occasionally. That's the problem with him. Uh, innate ability to anticipate, eh, limited knowledge on defense. So, all these young guys, I think, on the team can get better. I think Chandler Hutchinson has. The all four traits to be a great defender. I think you you will see him become a great defender. So I'm not as down on this team. I mean, it's a second preseason game. They look terrible. I really do feel by the end of the year, and then another guy, Valentine, I know we're, we joke about him. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. That's another thing I always also learned is, you know, l- length covers up athletic deficiencies. And the Bulls have that. They have a very tall, long team. And I think that's going to cover up some of these problems. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll get better. Guys like Portis, though, they do have some key players that are just never going to be good defenders. Portis being coming to mind, you know, being one of them. But um, back to my general point, and I'll finish up here, is I firmly believe you can't have a great defensive team team without one interior anchor. you got to have an A-plus guy who cleans up the mess in the middle. And, uh, you know, Grant was that. Horace Grant for the first three Bulls teams. Rodman was that for the second. Uh, you know, those are t- with, both those teams had two of the best perimeter defenders of all time, but they would have not been great defend- defensive teams if you didn't have that guy down low, you know, to help out and clean up the mess. And if even in, in the modern day, look at the Celtics of, of, of the 2008 era, they had Kevin Garnett, arguably the best interior defender of all time. The Bulls had Taj and Noah. Golden State had Dream on Green. Boston had Horford last year. You need that interior anchor. We have that. And Wendell Carter Jr. So I'm a little bit higher on the team defensively than others are. Uh, 
but um, you know, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I mean, what I've seen with, with him off the court and with Dunn off the court has just been an abomination these first two games, and I'm, I am concerned. Yeah, I'm very concerned because, to your point, look, Jabari has shown signs of being okay on defense at times, and, and that's why I think he is a power forward because when he played good defense against Giannis the other day in that Bucks game, it was mainly in the post or within the three-point line. He was able to use his big frame to stop Giannis getting to the hoop. Now, if you put Good him point. on a small forward and, and, and Jabari's guarding a three, in that instance, out to the three-point line, out to quarter court, out, out at that sort of range, I think that's when it's a problem. So, But he did have good moments because I thought he was playing closer to the rim. I think he can be okay defensively that way. But the problem with Jabari is just his will to get back and run back in defense. Uh, I had a clip in one of those articles where he just didn't get back after he missed a shot. He just didn't run back, didn't pick up anyone, faintly closed out to a shooter, barely even got close to that, and we gave up a corner three. You just can't be doing those sorts of things, though. So that comes back to what you were saying about the whole want and desire and IQ piece about defense. So I guess my my concern with these guys is at what point are you who you are? Or, you know, This is year five for Jabari. This is year five for Zach Levine. This is year four for Bobby Portis. Whilst they're still technically young players, at what point are you who you are, and, and and how much can you continuously grow on defense or have that that potential tag on you as a defender? Can can we still say that for guys like Jabari, Zach Levine, Bobby Portis, given that they're four or five years into their career? I think you absolutely can for Parker and Levine. I think Bobby is just he doesn't have the athletic ability that those yeah. other guys have. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think he's always going to be limited. He's actually Portis is a good rebounder, but he's got you know he's, he can barely his vertical jump. You know he can barely get, jump onto a phone book. You know I, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a difference maker there. But I did see like if you look at Durant, if you look at a lot of these players that are now excellent defenders, um, not always, but in, in a lot of those cases that first of all it's kind of a misnomer. That you can find every great player, you can find one or two, maybe three or four times a game where they they fail defensively. And maybe even fail, nobody plays 100% all the time. I, I remember with Butler, even when he was here, and Butler's one of the best defenders that have come through the Bulls, but I'd always find one or two parts of the game where he was not going full out or you know somebody would get around if he didn't do a box out. Those lapses happen over the course of 48 minutes, especially if you're being relied on to be the, the lead scorer and do all that. Um, you know, so I, I don't feel that, that you could always going to find one or two. It's just a matter of who's the most consistent. I think that consistency does happen as you get older and you realize how important it is to win that, um, to, to be more, more consistent on the defensive end. I think you're going to see Levine and Parker get better, but you're, you're right. I know you agree too. It's, you know, Portis, I just think is always going to be kind of a quasi disaster there. Yeah, so look, that's a good segue into into Bobby Portis. Let's talk about him because I think he's been probably, if he hasn't been the best ball in both games, he's been certainly the, the most consistent um, given how bad a lot of the balls were in that Bucks game. He was pretty much one of the few that actually turned up to play. But what have you made of, of Bobby Portis through his two preseason games? And uh, look, I'll ask you that question first. I'll come back and give you my thoughts in, in a moment. But yeah, simple one. Simple question: What what have what have you made from him in his first couple games, and do you think he's playing himself into a contract extension before the season starts, or or maybe more importantly, do you think he's playing up his trade value? 
Oh man, this is a tough one. So let's, yeah, I remember when the Bulls drafted Portis, you know, at 22 in that draft, which was an excellent spot to pick him up. I mean, if you redraft that draft, Portis is definitely a top 10 player. And I was talking to Tim Gallagher, who's a, a good friend, basketball historian, and uh, kind of a scout based out of the West Coast. And I remember he told me about Portis, where he sees him kind of becoming. And he says, I think he's Robert Ory. And uh, I remember I laughed all my, internally. I didn't laugh on the show, but I was just like, I, I don't see that at all. I kind of see that now. I think that guy's kind of developing into – he's just an offensive go-to player, scorer, uh, you know, who's going to be able to hit some big shots. He's probably even got a lot more game than I'd say Robert Ory on the offensive end. He's really becoming an excellent offensive player. The problem with Portis is he's just so uh, – as good as he is on the offensive end, I feel he's that bad defensively. I think he's legitimately a, a poor defender and – you just it's hard to have a, a guy in the interior be that bad defensively. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen anything in these first two games to feel that he's improved on that end. And I, I just don't think he does has the athletic ability to do that. But I am also impressed with his offense, equally impressed. I mean, he's he's not only he's been so good in the post, he's taken smaller guys in the post that you kind of saw that a little bit at the end of last year. He's got a legitimate three point range. I love what he says. You know, he kind of realizes what his role is going to be for this team. He also has stated, I want to be 40% from the three-point line. All these things I want to hear from players. Portis is one of the few guys on the team. I, I kind of irritates me with some of the, the talk I heard on, on the you know media day. He was the one guy where everything he said, I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I want to hear. That's what I want. To, I want I want you to promise playoffs. I want you to do I want you to, you know, say what your role is, and I want you to say what your personal goals are. I, I loved listening to him talk. You know, so a guy like that is going to get paid, though. You know, he's probably going to average between 14 and 16 points this year. I think he could be the six-man award winner. I have no doubt he, he can win it. Uh, you know, how much is that guy going to be cost? You know, I, I'd like to pay Portis about $10 million a year. I heard his, his team is asking for $16 million. I just think that's insane. And if that's what they want and they don't come to an agreement, I think you have to trade them. Um, there's just too many guys you're going to have to pay, and he, unfortunately, is probably not one of them. Yeah, look, I, I certainly agree. 14 or $16 million, whatever the number is, he, he, that's starter-level money. Bobby Portis is never going to be a starter here in Chicago so long as Larry Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr. In, are ahead of him. That's never going to happen here. So for his role, he's, for the Bulls, he's worth maybe $7, 8000000 million, anything more. Probably not worth it, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation because he has been their best pl- best player through two preseason preseason games. He's definitely if he hasn't upped his trade value, he certainly hasn't hurt it. But the Bulls have got pretty much got less than two weeks to come to an extension with Bobby Portis if they choose to do so. But we'll see what happens in that space. But the thing. Well, hold on one second. You, yeah, th- you think he's worth more than seven or eight million? I mean, uh, for, for another do you think team, he's got? Pay up, do you perhaps? think he's got a chance to 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 make to win six man of the year? I think it's going to be tough because big men typically don't win that award. But look, I think he could be in the running here. I think he could be top five finisher, for example, uh, depending on how that front court uh, uh, situation sort of plays out. Obviously, Larry needs to come back. Jabari's playing some four at the moment, so we'll see how everything shakes out. But I think, given he is a high volume scorer, I think he has the ability to get in that. I guess being in that position to be a top five finisher, but we'll see. But to to your other point around, you know, is he worth seven or eight million dollars? It, it it depends on the team. 
I think for the Bulls, they don't need to pay their backup power forward more than that amount, given that they've got Larry Markkinen in place, who, if he continues on this progression, he's probably going to cost them a lot of money. They don't need to be paying their their backups, their backup power forward in, uh, eight figures as well. So for for the Bulls, he may be worth seven or eight million dollars, but I don't know, maybe for another team who doesn't really have a their locked uh, their starting power forward position locked down for the next three four years, maybe. To that team, he's worth 10, 11, 12, 13 million dollars. It really depends. Yeah, I know you probably don't want to hear this, but I think he is kind of in that tier with Nico. And Nico's Definitely making 12 million a year. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Nico's making 12 million a year. He's probably going to be a backup, right? Nico's coming off the bench this year. No, he's not. Yeah, uh, for the Pelicans. He's starting. I thought, is that definitely decided and true already? Well, yeah. I'm going to speak it into his Randall. existence. No, no, no. Miritich <laughs> okay. is starting. He's not coming okay. off the bench. Well, what's Randall going to He's coming off the bench. Randall can oh, come Randall's off the bench. Oh, Randall's coming off the bench. He's inferior Nico's, to Miritich. Okay. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Nico's right now probably a better player than Portis, yes. but I think they're both in, in you know, quasi the same tier. $12 million, 10 to $12 million, I think, what Bobby Portis is worth. Now, you just mentioned Larry. I mean, that's part of the reason you can pay Portis because Larry Markin is one of the best players on the team. He's not, he's making peanuts. So, you know, that, that helps you. That's, that's what, where we, you want to be is have some of your best players like Minnesota had, you know, you know, Towns and Wiggins making next to nothing. When you get in those situations, that's what the Bulls had in 2010 when Rose was still on his rookie contract. That's when you can really make some noise. Now, unfortunately, Tibbs, you know, obviously screwed that all up, but Hopefully the Bulls will be smarter, and and when you have Dunn and these guys still in their rookie contracts, that's where you can afford to do some some interesting things and ma- and make the miracle. But you know it's it's a tough decision, man. It really is. I, I I think they're probably best off trying to trade him if they can. But I don't even know what he would get in return. You know, I guess it, as you said, it depends on what he's. But let's he'll probably let's say he's averaging fifteen points. What what could you get realistically in return for Bobby Portis? You probably Can't don't get, get, get another good player, but you might get a future first-round pick or something of that nature, maybe a, another lowly player or something like that. It, it won't be a huge haul, but it, it, if the Protect other option it. is losing him in free agency because you know you don't want to pay him the amount that he's likely to get on the market, then that's better than nothing. So these are the situations the Bulls need to, to weigh up. But another thing that I wanted to talk about with Portis is, and, and this has been sort of stark for me, I don't know why I didn't, I didn't necessarily realize this realized it last season maybe it wasn't there last season but you sort of touched on it before but it feels like Bobby Portis has become the the, the leader of this team strangely and, and I felt that in watching that Bucks game that he was the only one that was visibly uh, uh like he was visibly angry out there I mean he always is that's what Bobby Portis does he always has those crazy eyes but he was he was one who was actually playing with emotion it seemed like the game he cared about the result of that game, whereas I can't necessarily say that with guys like Jabari Parker. We've talked about Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday, Even Chris Dunn and Zach Levine. Obviously, Levine left that game at halftime or, or thereabouts with a, that thigh contusion, but those guys mm-hmm. didn't look necessarily into the game either, whereas Portis, he is that emotional leader right now. But uh, in that in itself concerns me, the fact that a player like Bobby Portis, who is the sixth man at the moment, is the the vocal leader of the team or the emotional leader of the team. Does that concern you as well that someone like Dunn and Levine haven't naturally grasped that role just yet? No, not at all. I don't I, I, look at Golden State. Who do you think the leader of Golden State is? Oh, it's Draymond Green, but he's the starting center and he's a top fifteen player. Yeah, but he's not. He's the fourth best player in the team. Well, it, it, matter, it matters. It matters. It matters. 
Well, there's no doubt he is. And Curry, there's no doubt that Draymond Green. He's better than Clay if Thompson. You, all right. Well, we're not going to get into a tangent here, but he's not <laughs> one of the top one or two. I think it's possible to have a leader in a team be that type of guy, like the third or fourth best player in the team. And I don't think that's a real issue. I think it's such an overstated thing. Like, there's another lot of talk going on. Who's going to take the last shot? You know, like, who cares? Like it, 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 I think that's the worst situation. Look at Minnesota last year. How many times did Butler I saw some insane stat and Butler didn't have an assist to towns. He had one assist to towns like in the last four months in crunch time. I mean, that's terrible. That's, that's not what you want. You want to have every player to be, a, to be a threat. You want everybody to be, that's what the best teams I really feel are in the modern day era. You know, look at the teams that have won titles. Golden State is the true definition of a team. San Antonio, true definition of the team. Miami, uh, it's kind of unique, but they are kind of a quasi-team with three, you know, the, the three big guys, right? I, I really think now basketball is trending more towards team, you know, great teams as opposed to, you know, hey, Jordan, Pippen, you know, Batman, Robin, and, and the, you know, Jordan Ayers, right? I think that's good. I think that's good for the league. So I'm not – every team has multiple leaders. I don't ever feel there's just like one guy. I think every team has – you know, there's a vocal leader. There's a leader by example. I always think it's better to be a leader by example. I'll tell you a guy who's going to be a leader of that team is Wendell Carter Jr. Because yeah. I can tell by the stuff he says already, this guy's just got everything. He's smart. He's talented. And he, he, he just leads by hard work and effort and example. Uh, I, I just – I'm so excited about those young guys. But – you know, I guess you brought up a good point. You want to see Portis, you know, I, I guess you're right. You'd probably rather see it from Levine, but... Look, I don't think you're wrong. I think you, I think you need a, a collection of leaders, but I guess my overall point is I'm only getting that at the moment from Portis. So I'm only seeing it from him. I would like to see it from Chris Dunn. I think he, it's important that he's the, the on-court leader, but if he's not necessarily an emotional or a vocal leader, then he needs to be one that is an ex, a leader that sets an example, but... I haven't necessarily seen that. Again, it's very, very early, so we need to to put that precursor on it. But to me, Bobby Portis has very much stood out in that sense. I, I do agree that Wendell Carter Jr. will eventually, I think, become the uh, the foundational leader of this squad. But again, he's only a rookie. He's only two games into it, whereas I'd be expecting more from that from Chris Dunn and Zach Levine. And they've been on record saying that that's who they wanted to be. That's what they're going to be doing this season. But I just haven't necessarily seen it thus far. But again, it is early. But... Look, you know, we're, to we're, touch on this really quick, though, I want to add one more point. Sure. In order to really have that respect to the team as a quote-unquote leader, you got to be the guy who's working, not only working hard at your house or across the country, but in the facility. And that is one thing I have noticed and I have heard from people around the team is Portis is always there. Yeah. And he's always working. And he's always – it wasn't just this year. It was last year was in the Aussie. I mean, he is a known worker in that facility. And I think that does go a long way. You know, Jimmy's a hard worker, no doubt, but Jimmy works out in LA. You know, I never understood. I think the worst thing you could do in your life as a, as a coworker uh, in any, any field is to question the work ethic. One of the worst things you can do is to question the work ethic of your teammates. And, you know, what Jimmy did is not leadership. It's awful. Uh, Towns last year went from, I think, 36% from three-point range to 41%, 42%. That can only be accomplished through hours and hours of hard work in the gym. 
And to have a teammate question your work ethic is absolutely, utterly ridiculous. So, um, you know, leadership's an interesting topic. We should probably do a whole show on it uh, some other time. But how you and I are leading Bulls Twitter out of the dark ages into the light. Oh, I'm not going to touch that one. Uh, <laughs> All right, there you go. Look, look, let's before we wrap up, let's talk Dunn and Levine because we haven't really spoken about these guys. Um, now, obviously, we I mentioned before Levine left left that game and the Bucks game with a, a, a thigh contusion. So thankfully, it was nothing more. And and I don't know about you, Fred, but I was pretty worried when I saw him go down. But it it, it wasn't anything too serious, oh, yeah. thankfully. But what have you made of Dunn and Levine in games one and two? I thought I thought in that Pelicans game, given realistic expectations together as a as a two-man unit i thought they played as well as i could have had hoped for in preseason game one now obviously that bucks game was a, an abomination all all round so it's hard to make anything or take anything away with that given as well that levine missed uh, that second half but what have you made of these two thus far i thought don levine had arguably both had the number one and number two games in game one yeah. i thought they were both fantastic uh Dunn, yeah, I don't think he got enough credit for that game. I thought he was absolutely incredible on both ends of the court. You know, he's got he's got this play where if if a point guard beats him, he'll just like trail him on the on the side, and some of the shot blocks he gets off of that play are insane. And I don't think there's a point guard in the league that can make a defensive play like he does on that. It's just incredible. Then he had Holiday in the post. And this is something I want to see more often. You know, he does a spin mover on holiday for the dunk. I think the Bulls are uniquely structured that they can get away with almost like turning an offense inside out by putting Dunn in the post and putting their, their shooters at the four and the five out in the perimeter. And it will really put a lot of pressure on the defense and kind of – I really like that when they put Dunn in the post because he's bigger and stronger and longer than most of the, the guards in the NBA. So, uh, And I saw – I read your article about you know how exciting it was that he hit the three – you know, as a 30% career shooter, you make a great point. I mean, it is to me important for Dunn to, if he can get up to, you know, respectability from the three point range, which to me is around 34%. You know, I don't know if he's ever going to do it. Uh, I guess just the threat of being able to do, it's going to help immensely. But, you know, what I mostly want to see from him is tenacious defense and uh, on the offensive end, facilitating for others and occasionally scoring a post. I'll be fine with that. And I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Bulls, I do love it when they do a lot of these unique things. And I especially saw it at the end of last year where they had like marketing bringing the ball up the court. And the four and the five actually, you know, almost playing the point guard position. And Parker did that a few times in game one. I just love that where you're bringing out, you know, then you make the four and the five of the opposing team. They got to make a choice. Do I need to come out above the, the free throw line? And that will really, I think, it kind of immediately put the defense on the heels. I love when they do you know, interesting things like that. Uh, Levine, though, I thought was spectacular in game one. He just looked just shot out of a cannon on some of those plays. And the, the steal for one where he really anticipated, I thought was fantastic. He looked great on the offensive end. But I kind of mentioned this, I think you heard on my last podcast as you listened to, I am concerned about him in that there's just some guys that are kind of built slight and aren't durable. You know, and durability is probably the most underrated trait in the NBA. You look at Wiggins, you look at Towns. Towns has never missed a game in the NBA. Wiggins, I think, has missed two. Um, and then you look at the Bulls players that we've had. We've had nothing but players that have gotten hurt or injured. And durability is something that the organization has not prized. And, um, you know, I think it's uh, unfortunate. But I'm hoping that, you know, it's just, maybe I'm kind of overstating it. But uh, I do have concerns that, you know, guys like Zach 
are always going to be hurt. They're just going to be one of those, you know, one of those guys that are, have a tendency to get hurt. But maybe I'm just overstating it. What do you think? No, I've got a similar view. And look, maybe that view's enhanced now, given that he had that serious knee injury. And, and maybe if that never happens, maybe I don't necessarily feel the way I do right now. But I, th- I can't remember who had the article. It may have been Casey Johnson or, or a tweet some from someone else. But they mentioned that Zach Levine is in the best shape of his life, that he's down to 185 pounds. And the key word there was down. And I was like, he's down to 185 pounds as right. a two guard? That seems very, very slight. Now, of course, Zach Levine isn't a guy that's probably got a body where he can actually just throw on 10, 15 pounds like Larry Markin has sort of thing in one off season. So he probably doesn't have that body that he can do that. But at the same time, the fact that he got down to 185 pounds, which is something you'd expect from a very slight point guard, let alone a shooting guard, I don't know, maybe maybe his natural frame doesn't necessarily make him a durable player. It's something obviously we'll find out over the life of, the, of, of his four-year deal that he has here. But I do have some concerns about his durability. Hopefully that's those concerns are squashed pretty quickly. But in terms of his play, I've been super impressed with his intent. And, and you mentioned it there, the way he's sort of getting in transition and pushing in transition and trying to get those easy scores and... Beyond that, he's even trying to get into the paint more. So he's not necessarily just settling for those long twos that we sort of became accustomed of last season when he came back from that knee injury. And maybe that's because he's healthier now. Maybe it's a different mindset. Who knows what it is? But it's been very visible that Zach Levine's trying to play a different brand of basketball. He's trying to get easier buckets, which is something that I've been calling for. And again, we've only seen him for one and a half preseason games. So who knows if this uh, intent lasts, but... I've been really impressed with Zach thus far, and whilst his defense isn't great, I think he's shown a little bit, a little bit extra. There's obviously still some moments there where it's been quite poor, but I think offensively, I've liked what I've seen thus far. So I've actually been pretty positive with the backcourt thus far, and I guess my main concern at the moment for the team is Jabari. And look, I had that issue. It's an issue I had uh, coming into this season, but thus far, I've, I've been okay with what I've seen from Zach Levine and, and, and Chris Dunn. But um, hopefully they can continue to play, and hopefully Zach's not out too long. Hold, hold on right there, because I did want to talk about it. First of all, Levine, I, I think you and I were kind of close on – refresh my memory when, when they signed him. Mm-hmm. You know, to, I didn't understand the, just the sheer amount of negativity. I mean, I understand why people were a little bit like, gosh, $20 million for Zach Levine. It seems like a lot. You know, and, you know, but then again, I was like, Tyler Johnson's making $19 million. There's a lot of guys making – 20 million that aren't as good as Zach Levine. You know, I, I didn't think it was like insane or out of the, you know, like I, I thought you were with me on that. Did you agree with that when the deal kind of like, Hey, you know, it's not terrible. Yeah. What, what look, was your take on it? I, it, it was an interesting one. Cause if I think back to that time, which is probably four or five months ago now, I found myself in the middle, but I expected myself to be on one side and, and that side to be the negative side of things where, I was thinking maybe they'll going to even give him like $25 million, for example, and I was going to be raging at that. But at $19.5 million, whilst I didn't think it was a good deal, I didn't also think, think it was a horrible deal. And I guess my basis for that was I think that there's still potential for him to get to a point where he's not necessarily fulfilling 100% of that deal, but if he can become the 80% of the player that is worth $19.5 million, then... It's not a good contract, but it's not a bad one. So that, I guess that was my official stance with Levine. And based on what I saw from game one, 
if that's the kind of Levine that we can get going forward, who's not necessarily going to be an all-star level player, he's not going to be a 25-point-per-game type scorer, but if he's someone that can give you a consistent 18, 19 points per game, can be efficient, can score in a multitude of ways, then he may still not be worth $19.5 million because of his flaws defensively and, in, and the fact that he's not a natural playmaker, but he'll go a long way in earning the majority of that deal. So... I guess that's where I'm sort of at. And, yeah. and I've been critical of Levine based on what he has been. But being critical of Levine at a point in time doesn't mean you don't think he can grow or become better. So I still have some hope for Levine. And based on what I saw from game one, that was pretty much as good of a game that I could have expected based on what we saw from him last season. Especially And, and defensively. I think he's a really attacked and, and closed out well on three-point attempts. I, he's... So quick on that. I, I've really been impressed with him the first two games. I mean, or one and a half games. I, I, I do feel good. And I am kind of excited when you stop step back and look. All right. Laurie, Wendell Carter Jr., those two are going to be, as I said before, without a doubt to me for the next decade, two of the best front courts, if not in the East, in all the NBA. And then you got Dunn and, and Levine. You know, the, so the question mark is, where, is this, where are these guys going to be in, in two years and who's going to be the three? You know, who is, is it going to be Valentine? Is it going to be Hutchinson? I'm hoping Hutchinson could grow into the role, but he might max out as a backup. You know, and then the question is, are they going to be able to get a guy then out of free agency to be that three? Is it going to be Parker? I don't know. I probably have a little bit more doubts than I did before after watching this game in the quarter. But I do know this. If Kawhi Leonard returns to form and is as good as I expect him to be, if you dropped him on the Bulls next year, that's a team that will be you know, right there, one, two, or three in the East, no doubt. A challenger in a few years. So, well, um, I mean, Kawhi's yeah, not coming to the Bulls, so we don't have to worry about that. You, ne- you never know. No, you I, never I, know. I'm pretty confident about that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know? What about Durant? Yeah, and that's not happening either. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, everybody's talking. I think this whole Irving thing is throwing everything out the window because, you know, everybody I, I talk to, in New York, and I have a lot of good friends or Knicks fans. Thought for sure, it's Jimmy and Irving next year, and now that's out the window. So, we shall see. We shall see, Fred. But look, we've come to the end of the show, and look, we've been pretty, uh, we've been pretty cordial. We haven't necessarily disagreed yeah. with too many things. So, to end the show, I wanted to bring up another tweet that you you had the other day, and and no, it was a no. tweet that you referenced our bet. So, again, just for the listeners, Fred and I have a bet going on that if the Bulls win forty four to forty seven games, the then um, I have to take photo proof of myself wearing a Denzel Valentine jersey. And if that doesn't happen and the Bulls win less than 44 games, Fred has to do basically the same thing, but with the Kirk Heinrich jersey. So that's the standing bet that we have for this season. And for the first time, just like you did before when you mentioned that maybe you're sort of starting to lean where I am in terms of Parker not being a three, and you started to sort of work back on your position that maybe just slightly based on that Bucks game that you sort of saw the potential that you may be losing this bet. So my question for you, Fred, as we sort of exit the show, do you need me to give you any sort of links there on Amazon or eBay or anything like that of, of some Heinrich jerseys? Do you think do you, do you want me to send you something? Um, should we be ordering or placing an order for a, for a Kirk well, jersey I'm now? Not, or what, what, do you, what do you think? I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I after watching that last game in Milwaukee, I was thinking, all right, what I what I'm going to do to minimize the damage here, you know, because I I'm going to have to wear a Kirk Heinrich jersey for a week. What what kind of parameters did we set that I could I could you know push? 
And uh, so I came up with the idea of going to the local baseball field and diving, you know, like a head for slides to get dirt on it. And people wouldn't see the number or name. That was one option. Uh, second option is go to a remote like Greenland or remote uh, Eskimo, uh, live there for a week with the Heinrich jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just or just out in the desert, Nevada or something, just wander <laughs> around in a wigwam or something. You know, something like that. Maybe spend a week with the Navajos on a reservation. I don't know something. But I, I, I've been thinking of a lot, a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of options because uh, it looks, it didn't look good. But then again, you know, I thought Larry's going to come back. Things going to look a lot better. We're missing two rotation players. That's people forget. You know, I don't care who you are. You're missing two rotation players like uh, Markin and uh, and Valentine. You're gonna, you're gonna hurt. So, uh, but I am, I am a little concerned, no doubt. Maybe I better start looking around for some deals. Yeah, I think it'd be, you might be able to get a good deal uh, now. Maybe, 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 maybe they're a little cheaper now. Maybe as we get a little closer towards the end of the season and this bet sort of picks up momentum, you know, outlets around the nation will start lifting their prices knowing (laughs) that you'll be, uh, (laughs) you'll be in need of a jersey. So maybe it makes sense to, to get one now just in case. But um, that's gonna be such a bummer if I have to wear that thing and actually the video wait. evidence. I can't. And you know what wait. I will do? I will do. I, well, the video evidence will be me of just canning jumper after jumper. So for the first time, you know, someone could actually wear that jersey and hit at like a eighty percent rate. <laughs> I am. I got to. I got to ask you. Do you really dress your dogs? Was that just like a one time thing, or was that an actual event? It was a. It was a our equivalent of the Super Bowl here in Australia. So <laughs> what? So Australian rules football. The, okay. We had oh, our grand it. final, yeah, so the our equivalent of the Super Bowl, and it was at our house, and we were having a party and an event for it. It was a it was a terrible day for me because my team lost, unfortunately. But we did dress up our dogs on that particular day. I don't do it every day, Fred, but um, I, I understand it's giving you ammunition now. So um, <laughs> how long did it? How long did it take you? Be honest. How long did it take you to dress those dogs? Well, I, I didn't do the dressing. I only uh. So I did the undressing? I didn't do any of it. <laughs> I just uh, enjoyed. I just enjoyed the photos of it. But um, so did I, Mark. I put it so on Twitter, I. and I'm sure you're not going to let it up now. But Fred, we've reached the end of the podcast. It's always fun chatting with you. Not as many disagreements this time around, but maybe next time. We'll obviously Isn't be doing this again coming up. I, I, I'm tipping as the season sort of gets underway. We're, we're only got maybe three or three or so more preseason games to go and the season is less than two weeks away. So I'm sure we'll be speaking again as the season progresses. But Fred, before you get away, tell the people where they can follow you online. Sure. At CBE Fred, that's at C is in Chicago, B is in Bulls, E is in I, Fred. Uh, you can also email me at ChicagoBullseye at Gmail. If you want to have some correspondence or uh, get a signed autograph photo, I'd be happy to send it out. <laughs> what else? Uh, what else, Mark? Maybe I should send you one. Uh, it, it, what else? Uh, anywhere else? Oh, you got Big Red Bus. So you go to www Chicago Bullseye and you can hear our, uh, the Chicago Bullseye podcast, or also available on iTunes. Or Doug Tonus, the great, the legendary Doug Tonus. When are you coming to Chicago, brother? That's the, that's the big thing, man. I can't wait. We're going to go out with Darnell. We're going to go out with Doug Tonus. Well, I put great. it to you the other day. If you if you pay me to get there, I'll get there. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You're going to be on that merchant marine ship I set up, and then I'll fly <laughs> you from the, the remaining ship. I, you know, I, I had no idea that the number one export or one of the top exports of Australia was sheep. I had no idea. Did you know that? Well, agriculture is big in our country, Fred. We uh we make right. a lot of money off our land. So. Well, well, the sheep is not agriculture, brother. 
<laughs> I don't know, mate. I'm not an economist, Fred. Jesus, I'm just doing a Bulls podcast. <laughs> yeah, I got you, my man. Oh, All right, man. I'll let you get well, away. Okay. But, uh, thank you for good joining Good day me. and good night to me. I always love it. Yep, yep, definitely. <laughs> Take it easy, Mark. See you, Have mate. a good one, man. Bye-bye. All right, folks, so that was Fred Pfeiffer. Follow him at CBE Fred. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm sure he'll be on the podcast a little bit more frequently as we get into the season. But like I said, there's only a couple more preseason games to go. We'll be back again this time next week to touch on those games. And once those games are done, the season will be getting ever so closer, which is getting exciting. Hopefully the, uh, the defense picks up. Hopefully the three-point shooting picks up. That's been uh, a little bit bad. We didn't get a chance to talk about that, but... If there's uh, one cause for concern that, or not cause for concern, or there's one upside here, it's the fact that the Bulls have been shooting absolutely terribly from three. So maybe if that turns around, the Bulls' fortunes can turn around in preseason as well. But we'll be back again next week to wrap up the next few preseason games. And as we inch closer to the to actual season, I'm getting excited, folks. But uh, I'll be back again next week. Keep an, out, an eye out on that in your in your feeds. Follow me on Twitter at mkhoops. And um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm always happy to talk Bulls. But again, I'll be back again next week. Speak to you guys about the Bulls. Forgive me again for my voice, but thank you for putting up with it. I'll catch you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.